Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, writers and entrepreneurs. Today we are talking to and about writers who write for a living, but maybe not their own books necessarily. That's right. We're talking about work for hire writers, contract writers, freelance writers, ghost writers. I'm Brooke Warner, and I'm here with my right-minded co-pilot, Grant Faulkner. And Grant, we're taking on this topic of work for hire this week, in part inspired by my recent trip to New York, where I attended the Gotham Ghostwriters Conference, the first of its kind. And ghostwriting seems to be more visible today than it used to be. And that's why we wanted to bring on today's guest, Aubrey Andrus, a ghostwriter and author, uh, as most ghostwriters are both. They're doing their own work a lot of times and ghostwriting, not always. Uh, but Aubrey does work for hire and series and all kinds of stuff. And she's going to share with us her journey into ghosting and work for hire and what that's all about. But Grant, uh, before we get to her, we're going to talk a bit about ghosts, as they're called. And why do you think that ghosts are so much more visible today than they used to be? I think there are a lot of reasons, actually. Uh, first and foremost is that ghosting is more acceptable. We're seeing so many more celebrity memoirs for one and beyond the household names like Brittany or Barbara. You have another kind of celebrity, which are thought leaders who have you know giant platforms and audiences who have a book or many books in them, and, and they don't have the time or maybe the skill to write the books themselves. And, and as books have become you know an extension of our brands, ghostwriters are more in demand. So more books, more need for ghostwriters. I also think we're seeing career authors and writers facing some existential crises that are leading people to go into ghostwriting. I know several writers, in fact, and, and some of them, you know, relatively big names who are struggling to get published in today's publishing climate. So they've turned to ghostwriting as a way to make money. And, and that's true, too, for people, you know, getting laid off from newspapers and magazines, and there are plenty of them. Uh, so there's a lot of demand in the ghostwriting space, and this has led more writers and editors to turn their attention to that possibility. And I think the outcome is visibility of these writers as a result. Yeah, I agree with all of that stuff. And a lot of anecdotally, I've just seen the same thing. Uh, that conference that I went to, I mentioned uh, from Gotham was called The Gathering of the Ghosts. I liked that a lot. There were about 150 ghostwriters gathered in Manhattan talking about this specific segment of the industry. And then the New York Times covered the conference, which was pretty cool. And the tagline of the article read, practitioners of the solitary and highly secretive profession got together to compare notes and celebrate their work. And it really was that, a celebration of ghosting. There was lots of awards and a definite celebrity vibe, you know, to those more high-profile ghosts who are working with big-name authors. And it was cool, too, because in all of my years of publishing, I've never spoken at an event that was dedicated to ghostwriters. And so I, I do feel this indeed, you know, that ghosts are coming out of the shadows. 
Yeah, I'm thinking about the book training we did not too long ago when we talked about Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, and J.R. Moringer is, of course, a, a, you know, as famous a ghostwriter as they come. He's a wonderful writer, and he actually wrote this fascinating personal piece for The New Yorker called Notes from Prince Harry's Ghostwriter. And in it, he tells about the intimacy between the ghost and the author and also, you know, seems to end with a little bit of a whimsical sentiment about the nature of doing other people's work for them. And I'm just going to quote this part in which he wrote that his daughter asks, it's a good way to think about uh, the definition of ghostwriter, but his, his daughter asked, what is ghostwriting? And he said, my wife and I gazed at each other as if she'd asked, what is God? Well, I said, drawing a blank, okay, you know how you love art? She nodded. She loves few things more. An artist is what she hopes to be. Imagine if one of your classmates wanted to say something, express something, but they couldn't draw. Imagine if they asked you to draw a picture for them. I would do it, she said. That's ghostwriting. It occurred to me that this might be the closest I'd ever come to a workable definition. It certainly landed with our daughter. You could see it in her eyes. She got off her chair and leaned against me. Daddy, I'll be your ghostwriter. <laughs> my wife laughed. I laughed. Thank you, sweetheart. I said, but that wasn't what I wanted to say. What I wanted to say was no, Gracie. Nope. Keep doing your own pictures. So I'm curious, Brooke, what's your take on how he ended this piece and what this might say about ghosting as a profession? Yeah, it's a great question because J.R. Moringer, of course, is the best-selling author of the memoir, The Tender Bar. He's a gorgeous writer. I have to imagine he's proud of the work that he's done ghosting. He gets paid very well. He also ghost wrote uh, Andre Agassi's book. And, you know, the ghostwriters I know, of course, are extremely good writers. You have to be if you're going to be playing at this level. And they're also very intuitive. They know how to extrapolate what a writer wants to say. They also have to have good boundaries to be strong in the face of a writer's desires. And Moringer writes about that in the New Yorker piece when he tells a story about how He's trying to hold the line when Prince Harry wants him to put some things in the book that he himself, the ghostwriter, does not think serve the story. But I don't think all ghostwriters are frustrated authors. I, I really think many of them know that they're really good at what they do, and they've found a way to make a great living writing, refining, and delivering amazing stories, and that it's other people's stories might be the subject of some amount of soul-searching for a given ghost. And for others, I think it is exciting lucrative and a really solid career choice. So I thought it was interesting that Moringer ends on that note because it felt like he personally was having a little bit of an existential moment about it. And I have to imagine all ghosts think about it, but I imagine they all come to different conclusions. Yeah, it was interesting talking with Aubrey and her. She seemed excited. She liked telling other people's stories. You could tell she really liked that as, a, as the nature of her work. And and, uh, you know, it's an interesting topic for me personally, because I'm actually entertaining, helping someone write their memoir. And the goal isn't necessarily to complete like a bestseller or even a book that's traditionally published, but just to tell the story of a fascinating life. And while I talked to um, this person, I realized how that latter is really important to me. And I was like, I haven't ghostwritten a book before. So in talking about the book project, you know, it was nice to feel drawn and have a personal attraction to the story, just as I would to any of my own personal writing. So I'm feeling some of Aubrey's, you know, kind of excitement to tell another person's story. And we haven't finalized anything, so I'll let you know how it goes. But I hope that we can develop, you know, a close working relationship and, and that I can serve his story and draw it out and find it and express it, like J.R. Moringer tells in, in, in the story about his daughter. And I'm actually excited by this prospect because I'll be doing, you know, interviews and sending on drafts of chapters. And I think it'll be like a whole new writing experience because it will be very genuinely collaborative and intimate. 
Yeah, this is great, Grant. I think you're going to be a fabulous ghostwriter. So do report back. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, an extension of all of this work is work for hire projects. Aubrey's going to speak to the difference between ghosting and work for hire and how they, in fact, intersect and can be the whole thing. But a whole other realm is out there for writers of books and series that are connected to major brands. Aubrey has done work for Disney, Nat Geo, American Girl. I know several writers actually who've done books for Marvel. And this is ghosting, but it's within an existing storyline rather than coming up with your totally new work necessarily, or it's at least within a framework. And then you're working for a company rather than with an individual. And uh, I was thinking already there are more of these opportunities than ever, which Aubrey, of course, is going to confirm for us. She says, yes, indeed, there are. And in part, that's because there's more movies, more shows, more spinoffs, more everything. And all of these visual mediums want print books as part of their repertoire of things that they're offering to their fans. So it's pretty exciting. And I'm glad we're covering it because I know a lot of writers out there, you know, it's like you want to maybe write full time and you're going to supplement the writing of your own books with ghosting and, uh, and work for hire projects. Yeah, it's interesting to me too, just, you know, in light of the rise of self-publishing as well, because I think, you know, ghostwriting can be just very purely about helping someone tell their story just so they have it for themselves or their family. And it's interesting to me that, you know, that you actually went to a ghostwriting conference as well, because I didn't know there was anything resembling, you know, a central hub for ghostwriters. Uh, the writers I've known who've done it, you know, it almost seems like they kind of stumbled into it. Yeah. And I think that that's what's happening, you know, is that initially that was the case. And it was this, as the New York Times said, you know, this secretive, elusive space. Uh, and now I just think they're gaining more visibility. And also ghostwriters are demanding more cover credit. I'm also all for transparency. And I think part of the frustration that ghosts have had in the past has been around not getting credit. <laughs> Again, this is something that Aubrey is going to speak to in the interview. Uh, and, and so things are changing. And I personally like knowing if they're there was a collaborator on a given book as a reader. I don't base my buying decisions on whether or not a book is ghostwritten. I just like to know. Like, And in the case of Prince Harry's memoir, for instance, I'm actually more likely to read it because it was written by Moringer, frankly. Mm -hmm. I don't have all that much confidence in Prince Harry to tell the story in a compelling way. So it can, in fact, be an asset. Uh, so there's just lots of stuff changing in the culture, all of which I think is good for ghosts. Uh, and I'm interested to hear from Aubrey, who's hugely immersed in this space talk about what it's like uh, the considerations at play for anyone who might want to break into this space themselves and much more so she'll be back with us after this very short break Welcome back, everybody. I'm so pleased to have with us today, Aubrey Andrus, and she is the award-winning author and ghostwriter of more than 50 books for kids, published by American Girl, National Geographic Kids, Lonely Planet Kids, Disney, Scholastic, and more. Aubrey has worked closely with publishers to concept, or from concept, I should say, all the way to development and through to publication. She's done award-winning titles and series of some of the biggest brands that we all know and love. Aubrey also has her own indie children's press that we're going to ask her about today. Uh, and she debuted with a series called The Look Up Series, which is a biography series that features diverse women in STEM careers. Aubrey is joining us from Los Angeles. Welcome, Aubrey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so pleased because one of the things that we want to talk about today is ghostwriting and work for hire. 
And when you and I were going back and forth via email, you called that kind of work a backdoor path into publishing. And so I love that characterization. And I wanted to start with that because you do both. So how are ghostwriting and work for hire similar and different? And what's an example of each kind of project that you've written yourself? Yeah, I I find work for hire such a great way to break into publishing. Um, Basically, I started as an editor at American Girl Magazine, and I left the company to go freelance, and they asked me to write a few books. And they're based in Middleton, Wisconsin, so not anywhere tied to New York City publishing. And I was able to leverage that experience then to break into other publishers. And so it's essentially freelance writing, but books instead of articles. And you're working directly with editors at publishing houses instead of at, you know, different online publications or or magazines or newspapers. And you don't need an agent. You know, you can start with no New York City connections in publishing and, Um, You don't really need any ideas because they're developing these concepts in-house and then hiring you to execute them. So it's almost like getting paid to do writing prompts, you know, where you get kind of like a challenge. And uh, for example, you know, Disney might reach out to me and say, we need a Princess Aurora story. And we're thinking of unicorns and um, nighttime and (laughs) snow. (laughs) And like that is literally one of, you know, the assignments I was given. And that's, you know, similar to a project I was given at American Girl. They have a Smart Girls series. And so they, they'll say Smart Girls Guide. Uh, it's going to be the Smart Girls Guide to Travel. It's 96 pages. Go. You know, what would you do with that? And so you're hired on a contract base. You know, you're given as little as a title <laughs> in a page count or maybe a more thorough outline depending on the project. And some of these projects can be ghostwritten. So that is how I got into ghostwriting was through work for hire. And I think that's another cool thing for writers to know is if you've ever been interested in ghostwriting or curious how people break into it, it's a really like hard industry to learn about and hard to break into. And so I was able to do it through these work for hire projects because um, a lot of the concepts that are being developed in-house are often based on a brand. And these days, celebrities are coming becoming brands in their own, you know, in and of themselves. So I've been hired to write books for YouTube stars and I do all kids stuff. So I am ghostwriting a YouTube book for a five-year-old YouTube star, you know? So that's kind of how I was able to break in and then leverage those work prior projects to break into bigger ghostwriting projects. So yeah, I would say their ghostwriting and work for hire are sometimes the exact same thing. And then basically they're they're very similar where you're you're kind of brought into an existing project and asked like what would you do with this? You know, can you run with this? So they're very similar to, in my experience. Well, Aubrey, it was super fun to uh, look at the books on your your website. And you've done so many great books for kids and lots of inspiring books too. And I know you have two daughters. And it seems that a lot of your motivation and, and ambition around uh, what you publish stems from a desire to empower girls. So I was wondering if you could tell us about that niche and about starting your own press as well. Yeah. So my first job out of college was at American Girl. So if you're familiar with the brand, it's a doll company for girls, but they also have a line of books and um, magazines and um the dolls started with these historical characters, but it's now grown to this contemporary line of dolls and publications and products for modern girls as well. So I really had this from age 22, this experience of writing for like eight to 12 year old girls. 
And I just realized, I think I was lucky at such a young age to have a purpose to my job. You know, I don't think I, when I took the job, I was like, oh, this will be so fun. I used to love American Girl, you know, whatever. But I, after I left the company, I, for a brief period of time, I worked in marketing in copywriting at a at fashion company. And I just hated it. And it was because it didn't have a purpose. You know, it just wasn't, I needed some kind of purpose, you know, to my, to my work. And um, so, yeah, I really, that's where I've been the happiest is like writing for each 12 year old girls and kind of helping empower the next generation of, you know, of girls. And um, I think there's also just, obviously, once I became a mom and had two girls myself and, you know, with COVID and so many women leaving the workforce and just me thinking about what kind of role models my daughters have. That's kind of how I spun into this um, project of the Look Up series, which is this career book series for girls featuring um, diverse women in STEM careers. And I really wanted to publish that project myself because I was very passionate about it and confident in the idea and I had so much experience with traditional publishing and I just didn't want a publisher to like, I didn't want to wait and I didn't want the idea to get muddled down and I wanted diverse women on the covers. And I just had very specific ideas <laughs> for this project. And so I just decided to do it on my own and start my own publishing company. And and it's um, it's been kind of a wild ride because I had to teach myself a lot, <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of where it started from. Just so, I mean, so many different things. It was, I feel like it was kind of the pinnacle of like my career where I was like, okay, this, I'm breaking off. I'm taking all of my experiences, putting it into this one project. I know one day my daughters will read it and love it. And so it just kind of made me happy on so many different levels. Well, I love this, Aubrey, because it's coming into the next question that I had, because we were speculating before you came on about the nature of ghostwriting and whether ghostwriters secretly long to write their own books, or maybe it's always a combination of both, because I think a lot of ghostwriters are writing their own books, and in your case, starting their own publishing companies. I mean, there's just so many different ways that you can take it. And so what can you tell us about just the nature of being a full-time writer of other people's stories. And now you're talking about doing your own stories. And so I'm guessing there's a lot of creativity and imagination in the process, regardless of which hand you're, or which pot your hand is in rather. Yeah. I mean, my background is in journalism. So I think if uh, anyone who has a journalism background will understand, it's like, you're always telling somebody else's story, even though it's your own work that you're producing, your own writing, your own emotions you're putting into it. But so, yeah, so for even for the lookup series, I, I feature a woman in STEM in each book. So even though it's like, quote unquote, my project, my idea, I'm still telling other people's stories. So maybe that's just the, the journalism background in me that I can't really get rid of. You know, it's just that's where my brain kind of naturally gravitates towards when I'm looking for stories. And so if, if you don't have a journalism background, maybe, you, you know, your brain might tick, not tick that way. But I do like the idea of having another avenue for finding story ideas. You know, it doesn't all have to come from within you. You can be inspired by what's out there. And telling other people's stories has still been like super rewarding, if not more rewarding, you know, than, than um, I don't know, my own ideas. It's, it's been, yeah, I, I kind of, I guess because of my journalism background, that's just where my brain goes. <laughs> Well, hey, Aubrey, I'm getting super interested about how I do this myself. So I just want to see if you have any advice to me and or listeners about how do you break into the work for hire and ghostwriting space? Yeah, so I can only speak to the children's publishing industry in particular, but I would imagine adult is similar. But 
every publishing house, um, as far as I'm aware, many publishing houses will have like a um, licensing, like media kind of uh, division. And there are editors that work in that department. And so their job is to work on these licensed projects. So for example, um, Scholastic, my editor was working closely with The Dodo, which is an animal lover's YouTube channel. And The Dodo was coming to Scholastic um, for you know help developing a book series for kids. So a lot of times publishers will act as the expert for brands who want to break into you know publishing. And so they kind of in-house developed this idea of we're going to do some narrative nonfiction novels based on these um, popular YouTube videos. And then they brought me in to execute the project. So what I would do is I search a lot on LinkedIn and um, we're so lucky to have LinkedIn at our fingertips and find editors that are maybe in these licensing divisions. They don't always put all that information on their LinkedIn profile, but if they say they work with freelancers you know, even, even non quote unquote, like licensing editors are still developing concepts in house and everything these days, I feel like, especially in the kids and family space is like based on existing IP and franchises. And I just, they're, they're looking to create content for that existing fan base. It's just like a more safer bet. So I just feel like there's a a ton of opportunities out there. And what, what I've done is found, made some connections on LinkedIn and asked some questions, you know, do you have any work for hire projects? Do you have know any editors who do, you know, and also just pay attention to what's, what's out there on the, on the shelf. You know, if you see a book and you're like, you know, like, something really fun, like a Star Wars cookbook, the unofficial Star Wars cookbook. You know, I'm always like looking at those being like, who's writing those? Those are so fun. And maybe a book packager worked on that. That's another place you can look. The ABPA, um, they will list all their book packagers and what they do. And then LinkedIn, just kind of finding the names of editors in the back of the book. If, if you see a project that's interesting that you were like, who writes that? I would love to do something like that. Um, doing some some googling. That's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's like a mixture of hustle and creativity. Oh yeah, it's major hustle. I should probably be very clear about that. <laughs> it is hustle culture. It's freelancing. Yeah. You know, it's freelance writing, but for books. So yeah, major hustling and networking, and then writers conferences as well are great. You know, just to meet people in person, and um, you often will learn that someone's worked on some type of licensed or franchise or IP project. You know. That's great. I wanted to ask you about cover credit. This has been a bit of a controversy lately, it seems like, and a topic of big conversation among ghostwriters. You have some books that you have cover credit and others where you don't. Uh, And I'm just curious what you personally think about that. And is it okay for you when you don't get cover credit? Is it something that's part of contract negotiations? Yeah, that is obviously a touchy subject. When If you enter into the ghostwriting fields, like the kind of saying is that like, as long as your name is on the paycheck, right? <laughs> That's what you have to be okay with. So um, it is, it, it's something you have to be um, okay with if you get into this field. I have been frustrated at times when I've written a book and it wasn't clear in the negotiation process or in the contract process, whether or not my name would be on the cover. And it was a surprise to learn that it wouldn't be. So it is, it's not always, and I probably need to be better about asking about that upfront or maybe making some demands, you know, about where my name appears. And yeah, I mean, I've had, you know, an experience where I wrote a book cover to cover and the, per- you know, the person I was ghostwriting for, obviously her name was on the cover and she got to be on Good Morning America and, mm. you know, all this stuff. And it's, 
yeah, it's like, it's a little, I wasn't even told it was going to be on Good Morning America, you know, so it's a little frustrating. We were like, well, that would have been cool if I could have at least been there in the audience, you know, <laughs> like it would have been nice to get looped in, but it's kind of like the nature of the beast is it's, yeah. And then I've also had experiences where I, they accidentally sent me the celebrities contract instead of my own. And so I saw how much they were getting paid versus mm. me. Oh, geez. That was rough too. Yeah. Cause they are getting, I, I don't know if this is in every case, but they are like the brand that is bringing in the readers. So they're, you know, going to get a nice chunk, even if they're not writing the book. And um, that was, you know, a little awkward. So yeah, it's a touchy subject. Eye-opening, I'm sure. Yeah, it's very eye-opening. <laughs> and Aubrey, I'm sure you're going to, you can share some of those figures with us now and the celebrities. <laughs> right, exactly. Can, can do that? Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> I'll just say a lot versus a little. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, Aubrey, in closing, I mentioned that you got this great website. I really enjoyed it. And you even have photos of your, your daughters on the site and, and also questions that people, you know, ask you or might be curious about. So in closing, I thought I'd take one of those questions from your site because I think it's, it's, it's a thing that stumps people when they think about pitching work for higher ideas. And that is, where do you get your ideas? Ah, great question. <laughs> I really get it from from anywhere. And for me, I feel very inspired by travel. So just trying new things, meeting new people, going new places. I feel like that helps break me out of the rut. You know, I kind of don't believe in writer's block. I feel like sometimes you just need a change of scenery, you know, or um, or need to go for a run, go out in nature, you know, just anything to, I, I really believe in a change of scenery and um, stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit to kind of get the ideas flowing. And for me, travel is a big inspiration going honestly anywhere. I just love, <laughs> love traveling anywhere. That's great, Aubrey. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming on to share with us a little bit about how this works. I, I think Grant and I are kind of noticing and seeing a lot of people who are leaving journalism and other places getting into ghostwriting and work for hire. So it seems like it's booming and happy to have you just tell us a bit about it. So good luck with everything. Thank you. And I just like helping other writers. I know so many writers I talk to, it's literally their lifelong dream to be a children's book author. And so I'd like to just share that there is this other way to consider where you can get practice and get experience and get paid while doing it, you know, and then you can go off and pitch your own ideas to these editors that you network with, you know, so it is just a really nice way to build up your career. And I'm very thankful that I was able to slowly, you know, learn how to be an author and, and get paid while doing it. So Fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Aubrey. Thanks. We'll be right back after this short break with today's book trend. Today's trend is a pretty cool one, Grant. It's about the rise of a woman-owned bookstore called Womb House. Womb House Books can be found on Instagram, and they have a cool Etsy presence as well. And I have to be honest, Grant, reading about this bookstore was the first time I'd considered an online-only bookstore. I don't know why, because of course, you know, regular bookstores are online and have online presences, but this is apparently a thing, and it's only become more popular since the pandemic. 
Yeah, I especially liked reading about this because of the passion and the specificity of the bookstore. And Jessica Ferry sells women-authored books, though she does occasionally throw in a male author or few. And she's a book critic, actually, who writes about women's works and the lives of women. And the entire store is, you know, very curated for her personal taste and sensibility. Um, it basically was a hobby that turned into a thriving business, which is a pretty cool thing as a side gig, since running a brick-and-mortar store is such a you know, massive endeavor. And I also loved reading about her collaboration with another bookstore owner, Emma Roberts, who's the co-founder of the online book club Bellatrist or Beltrist. Uh, and she had started to like a lot of Womb House's posts. And then that prompted Jessica to reach out to her. And from there, they started to partner together. And now they regularly convene online to sell books. And they have a series called Womb House X Beltrist. Uh, I just love this grant. It's the kind of collaboration I love to see. Uh, and it's one that's common across the writing community, in my experience anyway, with women readers and writers, because there's this real sense of sisterhood and women championing women that I've seen and cultivated in my own career. And so I saw this story and I was just like, yes, this is awesome. It's really nice to see this creative endeavor and how people are reinventing things like book selling, you know, which is just such a hard business to be in. Yeah, I'm super inspired by it personally. And it's it's interesting too that this is, you know, it's basically a used bookstore. You know, the books are, you know, deep backlist or rare or early editions. And uh, Jessica shared in the publisher's weekly story that we read that she buys most of her books at library sales, which are apparently thriving book sales here in Berkeley in the Bay Area because she's based here in Berkeley. So, so Brooke, what do you know about library sales like this? And have you ever been to one? I haven't. I have not. And I noticed that part of the story immediately, too, because as a publisher, I was like, hmm, she's buying 200 to 400 books every time she goes to one of these sales. I didn't realize that libraries unloaded books to that degree. And I guess libraries get a ton of donations and then they sell those books. And so this is a like entire underground marketplace that has not been on my radar much if at all. And I'm, I'm surprised and interested. I, I want to know more about it, frankly. Uh, these bookstores, though, the online space, they are giving new life to these books and helping them to be refound. And, and that part is certainly meaningful. Yeah, I really like that focus on 20th century women authors. And, you know, maybe younger readers would go into onto Womhouse's site and discover new authors. And the post that's being spotlighted as of this recording features Joan Didion. So there's a, a promotion effort here as well, you know, spotlighting authors that everyone should know and need. Yeah. And that's another cool thing about the effort. It's a business, but it's kind of an educational tool as well. And it's a celebration of women writers all wrapped into one. So we encourage listeners, go check out and follow Womb House on Instagram and Etsy. Check out and follow the series Womb House X Beltrist. We'll put it in the show notes. And this is just a reminder, but if you have a book trend that you want us to cover, let us know. It's actually not too hard for Grant and I to find things to cover because the book world is brimming with wild and cool stories right now. Uh, and we do often joke that we could fill the trend every single week with the demise of some old guard book related thing or the impacts of AI. And that is true. Uh, and we're not seeing all the stories, though. We know that. So we appreciate it. I specifically appreciate it when people email me stories that they've seen, even if you think that I've seen them. So keep that coming, please. That is an invitation and a gratitude. And we appreciate all of you listeners so very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Stay right-minded, and we'll see you next week. 